Jeremiah 38, verses 8 through 9. Ebed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, My lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. I saw an illustration on the internet because one of the things I think that Jeremiah would have been saying to himself as he's sinking into the mud in this empty cistern, a cistern was very important in that arid culture and often they were sort of bell-shaped, small at the top, big at the bottom, plastered to try and keep all the water they could. Well, obviously, this cistern we know was empty. But it hadn't been empty too long because the Bible tells us Jeremiah sank into the mud when they lowered him into this cistern. So he's in the bottom of like this deep. And some of these cisterns were big, holding thousands of gallons of water. We don't know how big the one that Jeremiah was in. But he's down in the bottom of this. There's no light. He can see the light, you know, circle at the top. He's sunk in the mud. So I imagine he was saying to himself, at least I would have been, how long, O Lord? I've been faithful. And so I saw this illustration, and I brought up these glasses of water. So I got a smaller glass, and I have a medium-sized glass. You may think this is a big glass, but this is my medium-sized drink that I buy at Quick Star in those places. So it's really a medium-sized glass. And so what am I going to do? How long am I going to hold these glasses? You know, it really doesn't really matter that this one's lighter. That's why I'm holding it with my weak arm. And that this one's heavier. They're both going to get pretty heavy if I try to hold these all day. In fact, if I was able to hold these for an hour, my arms would be pretty stiff. In fact, if I could hold these for eight hours, I might actually do some permanent damage to my arms or muscles uh, my fingers might lock up. There's different things that could happen. So really, when you're sitting there saying, how long, like Jeremiah, the key is not how much weight you're carrying. The key is you have to set it down. You have to set those burdens down. You have to give those to Jesus. And that's part of what Jeremiah was learning. And that's part of what we have to learn. So we're going to go back and look at how did Jeremiah get into this predicament faithful prophet of God, very unpopular because nobody liked his message. So going back to Jeremiah chapter 38, and this is on page 1141, if you want to read along in your pew Bibles, but I'm just going to read verses 2 through 6. And this is what Jeremiah was telling the people as the city is surrounded by the Babylonian army. This is what the Lord says, whoever stays in this city will die by the sword famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. So then the officials of the king, King Zedekiah, didn't like that. So they go to the king. Then the officials said to the king, this man should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as the people by the things he's saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but they're ruined. He's on your hand. 
King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern. However you pronounce that, Malchahijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. And they lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern, and it had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. So Jeremiah had been a faithful prophet, and he'd been a prophet for years. If you've heard some of our earlier messages, you know that he started his prophecy probably around the age of 13. That's only a couple of years older than Chase or Caleb, where he's out talking to like the president of the United States, telling him what he's doing wrong. And if we go back to Jeremiah chapter 11, Jeremiah receives this threat that people from his hometown want to kill him. And they basically say, stop prophesizing or we're going to kill you. And so Jeremiah has to learn to deal with fear early on. And that's what we talked about. We won't repeat that sermon for you. That if you learn to fear God, you don't need to fear anyone or anyone else. Anything or anyone else. Then in chapter 37, leading up to this, Jeremiah is leaving Jerusalem. And he stopped by one of the guards and accused of deserting to the Babylonians. That wasn't true. He was just going to go check on his property. But he's arrested. And he stays in custody ever since then. But he continues to be faithful, speaking God's message. And I know that at times it became worry for him to do that, just like sometimes it gets hard for us. Sometimes it's hard for us to just let go of those burdens. We want to hang on to them. We can't trust God with them. We have to handle this ourselves. So Jeremiah, back in chapter 21, he's worried, he's discouraged, and he's talking to God and saying, I've been speaking the word of the Lord. And what's happened? It's brought me insult and reproach all day long. And then in verse 9, he goes on to say, and I've tried to hold it in. I've tried to not speak it, but it's like a fire in my bones. And I can't help but speak it. I can't hold it in. But how long, O oh Lord? How long? Zedekiah the king was supposed to be someone that protected justice and righteousness. But as we've seen from the verses, he's pretty spineless. He's afraid to do what is right. Verse 5 of verse, chapter 38 we just read. These officials come to him and say, this guy should die because he's discouraging the soldiers. And what's the king's response? He knows Jeremiah's a prophet. He says, well, I can't do anything. I'm just the king. Go ahead. Go ahead, kill him. But then we have this other official in the palace. We know from the Bible he was not even a Jew. He was from Ethiopia or maybe from Cush. But Ebed-Melech, he goes to the king as soon as he finds out what happens. And he, he's doing that at the risk of his life. We don't know what a king's reaction is going to be. And he tells the king, this is wicked. What's happened to Jeremiah? And what's the king do again? Okay, take 30 guys. Go get Jeremiah out of the cistern. So that's what Ebed does. And Jeremiah then is continued 
in the custody. In a devotional I've been reading, this one was from January 26 by Nicky Gumbel. He's a pastor over in England. I'm just going to quote from him because at least I've been there. He's talking about, have you ever been there? When you found yourself wondering, how long, O oh Lord? How long will these struggles and disappointments last? How long will we have these financial difficulties? How long will these health issues persist? How long will the difficulties in my relationships last? How long will I struggle with this addiction? How long will these intense temptations last? How long will it take me to get over that loss? How long will I struggle with depression? All these how longs. Well, in Psalms 13, God gives us some advice on how we deal with the how long questions when we're asking them. Psalms 13, it's a short psalm. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. Sorry, I didn't write down the page number for you. It's on page 777, 777. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, my Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. I'm going to stop there because the first part of how we deal with how long is just to pray. We're honest with God with how we're feeling. We tell him, we can't do this anymore if that's how you're feeling. We need help. We need you to give us rest. <clears throat> and skipping down to verse 5, it tells us what to do. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. So in other words, we keep trusting, even when we're crying out how long. And then we keep rejoicing. How do you do that? In a sermon... Uh, Several months ago, I told you about Andrew Brusen, who was a pastor in the country of Turkey, who was arrested and spent two years in prison until he was finally released by the pressure from the United States. But one of the things that he shared with his prison experience was he disciplined himself every day to take a certain amount of time to praise the Lord. And he said he didn't feel like praising the Lord. He didn't feel God's presence either before or after he was praising the Lord, he was down at the point where he thought he was going to go mentally insane. But by trusting it up to at least praise the Lord, he said he kept his sanity. And so that's part of it, just trusting the Lord. And then rejoicing, even when we don't feel like rejoicing. And then worshiping. We continue to trust the Lord even when the answer doesn't seem immediate or the answer comes that we don't want. 
So in Matthew chapter 15, that's found on page 1397 in the Pew Bible if you want to look there. There's a story of a woman. You can find this story in verses 21 through 28. And she's described as a Canaanite woman. She's not a Jewish woman. But she's gone to seek help from Jesus because she has a daughter that's demon-possessed. And so she's asking Jesus for help. And this is one of those illustrations of the Bible that's a little hard to understand. Because what does Jesus do? He basically ignores her. He doesn't even acknowledge her presence. He doesn't say one word to her. In fact, the disciples are the ones that are starting to tap Jesus on the shoulder and say, hey, this lady keeps crying out after us. It's really getting annoying, Jesus. Can't you at least send her away? They didn't want to deal with her constant pleas. So then the woman is addressed by Jesus. And Jesus sounds pretty harsh. He says to her, you know, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I'm sent to the Jews. And it's not right to take the bread of the children and throw it to the dogs. So basically now he's called this woman a dog, a Gentile dog. But what is her response? She keeps trusting. She's heard about Jesus. She gives an answer. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus is amazed. Some versions say, he says to her, then, dear woman, that's the new living. The new international, if you look at that, just says woman. But at least it's, it's not dog. So he's addressing her in a more pleasant way, saying, your faith is great, and what you've asked for will be done. You know, she had that heavy burden, her daughter's demon possession. But she wasn't going to hang on to it. Even when she was told by the disciples, get away, you're annoying. She's taking that burden. She's giving it to the only one that could do anything about it. She was giving it to Jesus. So what do we do? Psalms 19 tells us we keep going. Even when inside we're saying, how long, O Lord? We keep praying. We keep trusting. We keep worshiping. We keep rejoicing. And those things are going to enable us to take action. So that reminded me of a movie that Diane and I watched called 5,000 Blankets, based on a true story. And I think I just shared this in Sunday school. I don't think I've shared it with you as a congregation. If I have, you'll have to forgive me, because I'm going to share it again. The father in this family, they're a happily loving family, but he's struggling with mental illness. And there comes a point in this story where he can't deal with his mental illness anymore, and Originally, he's going to take his life, but he is talked out of that, and then he just disappears. And so the son, Philip, is concerned. This is in Fort Worth, Texas, but it still gets a little cold there. What's going to happen? And the mom says to him, quite frankly, you know, he's probably living on the streets right here in Fort Worth. But finding him is going to be virtually impossible because we have about 5,000 homeless people on the streets here in Fort Worth. And that's where the son gets this vision of 5,000 blankets. He says, I want to give a blanket 
to every homeless person in Fort Worth. And so through their church and a variety of events, they actually are able to accomplish this. They're able to collect the blankets, and they struggle through that. In fact, a newspaper reporter gets involved early on in the struggle of trying to get people interested in the homeless population and asks Philip, you know, what's the hardest thing about this whole thing? And Philip's answer is getting people to see what they don't want to see. In other words, to see there's a homeless issue. But they're, they're able to get some community support rallied, and they're able to deliver these blankets. And I won't spoil the movie for you, but it does have a happy ending if you ever watch it. But through this, even though they're going through this tough time, even though they're crying out, how long, O Lord, because they lost, he was the only breadwinner. She was a stay-at-home mom. She had to start all over working in a grocery store. They lost their house, had to move in with her mother. All these different things are going on throughout this story. And she's crying out, how long? But it's in the point of giving up that burden and just doing what they can, keep going, keep praying, keep trusting, keep rejoicing, that they're able to be moved to action and start blessing other homeless people. So again, you may be asking yourself, does that mean life is easy? How do I let go of these burdens? How long do I have to say how long before the burden goes away? How long before this difficult relationship gets resolved? How long before my finances or my anxiety just disappears? Well, I can't answer that question. All I can say is keep praying, keep trusting, keep rejoicing, and that's how you keep going. Jeremiah was rescued, but he wasn't free. He remained a prisoner in the house of the palace. And Zedekiah would continue to seek advice from him. Back to Jeremiah 38, verse 15. Jeremiah knows King Zedekiah very well. The king is coming, wants advice. And Jeremiah says this to him. If I give you an answer, will you not kill me? In other words, if I say what God wants me to say, you're not going to like it. And even if I gave you counsel, you would not listen to me. And that's very true. The king did not listen to him. In closing, I just wanted to share some words from a song I happened to hear driving into Mason City. The name of the song is called God is in this story. And I'm not going to do the song in the order that it was written. And I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read some of the words from the song. So if you're in the storm that you're walking through, and it feels like it's too much, and you wonder if he cares at all, referring to God, hold on tight to what you know. He promised he won't let you go. Your song of healing is written in his scar. And if it reads like addiction, because this song is written like it's a story, the name of the song is God's story, so your life is like this story. So if your story is written like an addiction, if it reads like a disease, he's the one who frees the prisoner. He's the one who heals of all things. If it reads like depression, if it reads like a broken home, he's the one who holds you sorrow. He won't leave you here alone. And then the refrain. This is what can help us keep going, I believe. God is in this story. God is in the details. 
even in the broken parts. He holds my heart. He never fails. When I'm at my weakness, I will trust in Jesus. Always in the highs and in the lows, the one who goes before me, God is in this story. And that's the refrain, I think, that can help us go. When we're crying, how long? How long do I hold on to these burdens, Lord? Remember, God is in this story. He's in the story. And if we keep trusting, keep praying, keep rejoicing, we'll be able to keep going. You'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that when we say how long, you're there with us. Comforting us, taking our hand and guiding us. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.